Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Put Cancer Behind You podcast, a series dedicated to helping cancer patients and survivors lead healthy, happy, cancer-free lives. I'm your host, Maria Barnes. My guest today is Kim Severin, a former computer programmer whose traumatic experiences impacted her life in a negative way for decades before she learned how to make the turn towards great health and happiness. Kim, thanks so much for joining me for a discussion about how you were able to transform a life full of fear into one of fearlessness. Thanks, Maria. Thanks so much. It's it's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Oh, it's a joy to have you. Now, listen, before we get into your background, I just want to say that I know you love golf, and you actually entitled your book, Making the Turn. Since I'm not a golfer, can you please explain the term and the importance of golf in your life growing up? Yeah, sure. So as far as golf goes, the term making the turn refers to, so there's 18 holes in golf. And after playing the first nine holes halfway through, you make the turn back towards the clubhouse. But the significance is, is that you are at your furthest point out before you make the turn towards home. So that's, that's how it is in golf. Now, how it applies and, and why I chose the title for the book, there's really two reasons. So a very significant event occurred on a golf course. So that, that was the first thing. And that event occurred when I was spiritually, I would say, at my furthest point out. I was a mess. My head was a complete jumble of negativity. I was stricken with fear at every turn. I mean, there was really nothing I wasn't completely fearful of. And it was affecting my life in every way. I felt completely worthless at that point. So like I said, the significance is really that at that point when that event occurred on the golf course, I was probably at my lowest point in my life. And the significance is that that event sparked my, me making the turn towards my spiritual home. So it really applied in several ways. That's great. And and if it's okay, I'd like to share that story, which which I recount. The story is in chapter one, but I'd, I'd like to share that story now with uh, the audience here and just kind of relay it, if that's all right with you, Maria. Go right ahead. So in order to share the story, I have to give just a little bit of background. Golf was a very significant part of my life. As a child, uh, my father created a lot of havoc in my life. As If you read the book, you'll read some of that. But the one thing he did do that was very positive, he taught me how to swing a golf club. And, and we didn't really play together, but he taught me how to swing. So that, that was significant, and that occurred at a very young age. And then I married into a very golfing family. My husband was an excellent golfer as were both his parents, his mother and his father. But it's really his father that's a very significant part of this story on the golf course. So his father, his father's name, Paul Severin, but I called him Koki. That was an old, I think it was a college nickname of his, but I, I just adored him. He was one of these people that was larger than life to me. He was very competitive, very athletic, he won many area golf tournaments. On the other hand, he was very kind. I mean, he was competitive, but he was extremely kind. He was extremely gentle, and he was extremely loving. I really just adored him. And he would come to our house for dinner quite a bit. And typically, over dinner, we would get around to talking about golf, and eventually it would, we would talk about my golfing game. He wanted me to be a really great golfer. 
I, I know he wanted the best for me, but sometimes those conversations got a little awkward because he knew about my game. So I, I had a very strong golf game. I could hit the ball long. I could hit it straight. But when I when it came to putting, <laughs> it was not a pretty sight. He knew it. Everyone that I played with knew, and I certainly knew it. Uh, it was part of my negative stream, that story that we keep telling ourselves over and over and over again. So, he, you know, he would tell me that he would say, Kim, that's where the game is won or lost on the putting green. You know, he, he really wanted me to be a good putter. So how this ties in, fast forward to the tournament, the actual story on the golf course. It was 2006, and in May of 2006, my father-in-law, who I adored, passed away, and, and I was devastated. So he, he passed away in May. The Women's Golf Club Championship was in August of that year, and I had already made a decision that I wasn't going to play in it (laughs) because I had lost a good handful of tournaments. And again, with this mind just full of fear and negativity, when I went to play in something like that, I was terrified. I mean, it was not fun. It was not fun playing in those. And I I had already decided I just wasn't going to play that year. And interestingly enough, my friend Lisa called because they didn't have all that many playing. And she said, come on, Kim. She said, just play, just play. So anyway, as as it turns out, the finals came down to she and myself. So it was a two-day tournament. Wow. And there I find myself on the second day of the tournament, on the final hole, standing on the 18th green. Oh, I was two shots down. So there I am again at the end of the tournament, two shots down, standing over a putt that most people would say was impossible. So for those of you that don't play golf, it was a 70 foot putt. So it was an extremely long putt, but it was uphill, but there were two tiers. So you had a a one hill and then it flattened out. And then there was a second hill and then it flattened out. And not only that, but it it broke, you know, it was kind of, it wasn't a straight putt, it was a bending putt. So on a scale of one to 10, this was like a 20. And there I stood, my typical self. I had no reason to believe anything other than what I had always believed and the story that I had always told myself, which was pretty much, I'm a loser. I'm a bad putter. I can't play. I'm worthless. I mean, my thoughts were just as negative as you could get. So there was nothing different about this. I just, it was this constant stream. So there I find myself standing over this putt. I did my usual sizing up, you know, I looked at the putt to see where it broke if I could, but still saying, you're you're just going to lose another tournament. That's my thought in my head. So I go and I I stand over the putt just like I normally do. And then something happened and the something, I'll tell you, it's, it's hard to put it into words. It was as if, well, first of all, it got very, very still. But it was as if I was standing there, but I wasn't really standing there. Like I said, this is very hard to describe. And there was, it was the most beautiful, loving feeling I think I've ever had in my entire life. I I just was, I wasn't, I was kind of like in this dream state. And I I was trying to make heads or tail of it. it. It felt very good. It felt very loving. I wasn't, while I was in it, I wasn't confused about it. I just was like, oh my God, this is great. But in that moment of not knowing what that something was all around me, in that very moment, 
this is where my father-in-law comes in. A picture of him comes into my mind. And I just, it dawns on me. I was like, oh my God, I, I'm getting goosebumps even as I'm relaying this story because it was just really significant. My father, there he is. He's there with me. And it was, what I realized is it was his love. It was his love that I felt. But it even went further than that. It was a love that it just wasn't from me to him or him to me. It was so whole and so all-encompassing. Uh, that's the only way to describe it. It just, everything was included in it. Uh, very difficult to put into words. So all of this, all that that I described literally took place in, in just moments. You know, it's kind of like you think five minutes has gone by, but as I began to return to, you know, what, what I considered reality, <laughs> now I realize what I was in was really reality. I, I'm, I'm returning to the dream, basically. I, now I was very confused. You know, while I was in that state, I wasn't, but now I was, cause I was like, what the heck just happened? Where am I? It took me a moment to get my bearings back. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm still on the golf course. I'm still standing over this putt. And I looked down at the ball and it hit me like I've never had anything hit me in my entire life. I said, oh my God, I'm going to make the putt. And I knew it like I never knew anything in my life. There was, there was not one shred of doubt. Nowhere. Nowhere. I mean, honestly, I was going to make the putt. And it wasn't an arrogance. That's why I said it just was this confidence, this quiet peaceful confidence and all of that negativity, all of that chatter, all of that brain chatter just was gone. So there I stood and I just, a gentle smile come out, came over my face. I pulled that putter back and I stroked that ball. That ball went up the hill, went up that first hill, then went up the second hill, did the big break, and went hit right dead. It was the perfect speed, the perfect line, the perfect putt. Went right dead in the center of that cup. So my opponent was surprised, but I wasn't the least bit surprised. Like I said, I, I knew it was going in. And and she chipped on and two-putted uh, to lose the tournament. So I, I won the tournament on that last hole. Just amazing. But the funny thing is... it. It wasn't about, it, after all that, Maria, it wasn't about winning the tournament. Right. Even in that moment, I, I knew it. It was about this, there was a, an opening that took place. And that's how I would describe it. There was an opening of, of my heart that took place, touching on the divine. And, and it really just stirred at that point in my life. I mean, again, I, you know, I'm just going from being at my lowest low to having this tremendous experience. So my whole rest of my life didn't turn overnight, but what that did was it made me very curious, first of all, about what that was all about. And I began to hunger for more and seek more. Now there is, there's a second event that occurs in chapter two, and I won't go into that, but those two events together just really, really were the start of me making the turn from living a life of complete fear to begin to living a life of more peace and certainly opening my heart up to love, to loving myself. Um, I was always hardest on myself, but anyway, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so that was my um, big event on the golf course. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing feat. 
I mean, it's just incredible what you did there. Uh, some people might say miraculous. I mean, what were the odds, right? Well, it is called A Course in Miracles. It is. And I just want to bring that up because you are a Course in Miracles student, and a lot of people don't know what A Course in Miracles is. But before we get into that, let's set the stage a little further and talk about why you had such a negative self-image and why you talked yourself down. Because anyone looking at you that day, standing out there on that golf course, would have thought you were just a million bucks all the way around, you know, and they, they couldn't look into your mind to see what you were thinking. But what led to you to having such a low self-opinion of yourself, basically, or low self-esteem? What was it in your life? You mentioned your father. Just very briefly, give us a background that brought you up, uh, your childhood. Um, it, I had a rough childhood. I, I really did. And I, I have to say that I, I was, I'm, I must have been a pretty good actor or actress because a lot of people didn't know what I was going through inside. It was, I, I am telling you, a lot of it was really, uh, it was terrible. Yeah, I had, it was a rough childhood. My father was an alcoholic. There was always the threat of violence. I, I don't remember my father being sober on any night, not one. Um, so as a young child, and, and like I said, it wasn't like there was that much violence, but he did, he punched walls, he punched holes in doors, and it, it was, you know, it got very physical. The thing is, as a young child, what you realize is it was very unstable. There was nothing that I could really count on. That's what I felt like, because I was thinking back, now, how did that take me to this place of utter fear? It was just never, always, every night, just wondering, you felt like it was teetering. And it could go either way. You know, I always worried that those punches that he punched at the walls and the doors, I wasn't worried that they were going to come at me. I was more worried about they were going to come at my mother. So I was very fearful of something bad happening to my mother. For some reason, all of that translated to me. And I know this is the same with a lot of children. It translated to that I wasn't good. I somehow had something to do with this. I was unworthy. There was something wrong with me. And that just kind of steadily grew with me. And I, I was terrified. I mean, by the time I reached young adulthood, I, I was terrified. All the way through high school, I was afraid of any interaction with people. I, I was really, I was afraid of heights. I was afraid of being the center of attention. I was afraid of crowds. And I was particularly afraid of speaking, <laughs> which, I mean... I, I, what I say in the book is, you know, I can get around a lot of those other fears, but it's very difficult to get around speaking. <laughs> you can't really do that very much. So I, I was really afraid of everything. I was just terrified of everything around me. And I, I really, I tried a lot of things. I, I tried counseling. I tried anti-anxiety medication. The thing is, what was really interesting to me is even with all of that, the fear would just move from one thing to another. So I'll give you an example, like with the anti-anxiety medication. Yes, it did help in the moment. But then if I left the house and left without it, oh my God, I was, I was absolutely terrified. So it just what I see now looking back is that the way that most people deal with fear, it just, it gets displaced. It gets displaced onto something else. It wasn't until I came to the Course in Miracles that I found out really what my fears were all about. And that's basically, they were about my internal dialogue. So, so Kim, trauma is, and certainly the trauma that you experience is at the root of so many diseases, including cancer. And while you've never had cancer, much, much of your, as you've just said, your young life was full of unease. 
which often evolves into disease. Fortunately, you didn't end up there. Why not? Well, it's true. Uh, it's true. But, and fear manifests in different ways for different people. That's the biggest thing. For me, it manifested into these these debilitating panic attacks where I, I literally, I couldn't do anything. And for others, it may manifest as cancer or as illness. These unloving thoughts, they do manifest, but they do manifest in different ways. My panic attacks, just to let you know, were so severe that sometimes I'd be driving with my husband, we'd have to pull off the side of the road. I I don't know if anybody listening has ever had one, but you literally think you are going to die. You, you know, I, you, I thought my head was going to explode. I thought my heart was going to stop. And you're just reaching for anything external that can help alcohol, medication, anything that can help. And this is the beauty of the Course in Miracles because the Course in Miracles talk teaches you not to place your your emphasis on the externals, not to place your trust on the externals because the externals are so fleeting. When you begin to place your your trust within, then nothing can take it away. No one can take it away. So this is the beauty of The Course in Miracles. And, and that's what I was led to do with The Course in Miracles. Let's talk about A Course in Miracles because we're both students today and have been for many years. It is a difficult book to get into. Uh, did you find that understanding what you were reading was difficult? Because I certainly did. Just as an example, the very first lesson in that workbook for the students begins, nothing I see in this room means anything. Now, that's pretty confusing. I know it was very confusing and frustrating for me. How did you keep going with it? Well, yes, absolutely. It is a quite a difficult bit, book to pick up. And when I picked it up back in the mid-1990s, there were not as many resources. And it, so I did have a very difficult time with it at first. And, you know, I, as a lot of people do, I set it down for a year, maybe, and then you'd come back to it. But the good thing is now there are a lot of resources. There are many, many books written about it. There are resources online. But the biggest thing I would have to say, and this is for me, what helped me the most was getting into a class, basically a discussion group, where you can bounce some of these ideas off of each other and you can, you know, just kind of talk through the text and make sense of it. So that would be my first suggestion is get with some people that you can talk to about it. And, and you can go online. There's many ways you can meet up with people. Um, I have a couple classes myself, but also picking up a book, I mean, such as mine, there are many books out there along this line that give you, it, it's basically a primer to what the text is all about. It, it helps to have that basic understanding before you jump into that pretty heavy-duty reading. So that can really help people. Clearly, we've both been uh, Course in Miracles students for a long time. And I credit it with saving my life. You obviously credit it with uh, making the turn in yours. And your book, I love that it's both an autobiography and a primer on the course. And I think that it's a great resource for anyone who picks it up and is interested in the course. But what is the biggest takeaway uh, for you, what has been the biggest takeaway for you from studying the course and applying it in your own life? I mean, to really turn your life around so that now you, I mean, you're not the same person you were. No, I'm not. And I'm very thankful for that. 
But everything, you know, it, that's one thing. You kind of look back and you're grateful for what occurs because you realize it leads to these greater understanding. My biggest takeaway would be that it eliminating fear. Now, I, I have to say that all my fear isn't completely gone. I'm not this, oh, I, nothing bothers me. No, I still have fear. But the, the, the biggest thing is that I've learned to deal with it. I don't just let it rule me. I'll go and I'll read a passage and the the course has, um, which I will say what really helps with eliminating the fear is the workbook. The the course in miracles has a workbook section. There are 365 exercises, one for every day of a full year's program. Now I know that sounds like a lot for some of you, but if you think about turning your life around, if you think about eliminating the fears from your life, it's really worth it. And it's, it's actually really exciting once you get into it. The, The first part of the workbook, book tries to undo those fears and undo basically the ego thought system that has taken hold. The second part works at putting in this new thought system, which is a thought system of love, of kindness, of gentleness, and the realization of who you really are. And in all of that, again, going back to the biggest takeaway from the book is you take back your own power. I made another reference to the fact that this is not arrogance to take your own power. We all are these beautifully powerful beings within, and we just have really never been taught about it. I know I wasn't taught about it. Our school, I, I went in public education, and there was never anything taught about how to tap into this beautiful, our natural state, the, the connection to the divine. So I would say, and, and you can use this going back to how to put cancer behind you, you can use that power in a beautifully peaceful way, this power, this connection to the divine. You can use that to heal. You can use it to heal. You can use it to assist yourself in so many ways. So for me, the course has been just an absolute life changer. That's all I can say. And I know that in your book, because you have studied the course so in depth, you actually quote the definition or the explanation of what true forgiveness is. And it's not an explanation. It's not a definition of forgiveness uh, as we're taught. At least I wasn't taught that. I was taught that, you know, you forgive somebody because they've actually done something and you here you are, you're going to be basically magnanimous and and forgive them because you feel like forgiving them or it's the thing to do. But that's actually not true forgiveness. That's actually a judgment of them. And basically when you're judging another, you're judging yourself because we're all connected. So it's not true. So what would you say about true forgiveness and, and your understanding how you came when you read that? What did you think? I mean, for me, it was, it was amazing to, to read that. It is amazing. And it's like you say, it's a definition totally opposite of ours. And uh, I'm going to read you just a couple of lines from the course that define uh, this. This quote is in my book on page 53, but it says, forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. It does not pardon sins and make them real. It sees there was no sin. And in that view are all your sins forgiven. So that those are some difficult words for some people when you start talking about the fact that the sin isn't real. What we're taught is we're taught to hold on to the sin. We're actually taught to magnify the sin. We're taught to make guilty. And the Course in Miracles would say, don't make the error real. Look beyond the error. But I have to add this caveat in here that we don't become a doormat. 
Right. This a lot of people, I think, think, oh, you become a doormat here. People just walk all over you. No, you don't. You don't become a doormat. As a matter of fact, the Course in Miracles gives you clarity of thought where you know exactly when to step away and you feel the confidence. See, that's one thing. I never felt the confidence to say no. I felt I was so afraid. The Course in Miracles and all this internal work that I've done has given me the confidence to know very clear-mindedly to say, no, I'm not stepping in that direction. No, I'm not going there. And certainly, and I point this out in the Course, I always have to say this, that it's certainly an abusive situation you exit. You always stay safe. And once you've exited, once you've left any threatening situation, then you can begin your internal work, but never stay someplace you don't feel safe. Right. But going back to what the Course says, so you look beyond the air. You look to the light that is in everyone. See, that that's the thing. Some people have a tough time realizing, but what the Course eventually leads you to is the understanding that it's a mirror. You're looking at a reflection of yourself in everyone in every event. There's a piece of you in each of those. And when you finally come to that understanding, you realize to hold something against another, you're just holding it against yourself. Right. And and your life, I have to say, with this definition of forgiveness, your life just becomes so much more peaceful uh, and so much more fun. The fun, you know, you can't have fun if you're in fear. So it doesn't become a very serious, oh, I'm a, you know, I talk about God all the time. No, my life became more passionate, more loving, more fun loving completely. Right. And, you know, you look around, especially these days, and you see people just wrapped up in fear. It's incredible. But we've been so programmed, as you've said, growing up and even in our adulthood to be fearful, right? It keeps you small. It doesn't keep you loving life. It keeps you in a little box. And so to break out of that and to break free, you really have to take back your power and say, recognize yourself as a divine being, but recognize that everyone else is too, right? And when you see that in everyone, you understand that's where you go. You go above the battleground. You don't get mired in, you know, what's happening with the ego. You rise above and it's spiritual. It's a spiritual forgiveness that is very different than the forgiveness that we're taught here, which on the ground, in the battleground, it's just the continuation of the battle, basically. So there's no forgiveness there. It's an it's not difficult to understand, but it's difficult to accept because people are taught they want to make the other guilty, right? But Carl Jung said, perception is projection. And what that means is everything is not being done to you. It's coming from you. You are the creator. You have free will. And when you acknowledge that, and that is never taught to us fully, when you acknowledge that, that's when you step in your power and say, yes, it is holographic. Yes, that other person is an aspect of me. Yes, I'm doing this to myself. And you can stop it. And that's what gives you the power to stop because you're not a victim. You realize who you really are and the power that you do have. And that is healing. I think we've both used that to heal. Exactly, Maria. Exactly. We are the creator. This is the beauty of the course. It leads you to that final understanding that we are the creators. The projector is within. And I love this analogy. A lot of people talk about this, but if you think about a movie, movie screen and you're in a movie theater and you don't like what's playing, you don't go up to the screen and try to erase it. That's not where it, you just, it's, you know, you're just, right. 
making it more difficult. So you go to the projector, you go to the projector and that's where we go. So we need to go to the internals. We need to go to turning our thoughts from judgment to turning our thoughts to forgiveness and love. And the beauty of it, the absolute beauty of this thought system is that when you focus strictly on forgiving and loving, what happens is the externals change. And I mean, that's been an incredible piece of my life that I'm not focusing on the externals. And one by one, the externals are just changing just exactly how I would like them to change. And I'm not putting the effort towards that. I'm putting the effort towards forgiveness for loving. And again, and going back to putting cancer behind you, the same with a body. These bodies are simply neutral communication devices. So it really has to do with how and what you are using your body for. If you're using your body for kindness, for loving, for caring, you're going to see a reflection in your body. It can't help but work this way. The externals, which is the body, the the manifestation of your thoughts, is going to change as you put your thoughts towards more peaceful, loving thoughts. So I, I just love that. You don't you don't have to work too hard at it. It just cut well you have to work at the internals, but the externals kind of come right. naturally over time, over time. So They do, because as you change your mind or your beliefs, basically, and start forgiving, not that anything out there that you've projected is real, it's not. And that's another discussion because it's a very, it's a spiritual tenet that a lot of people have a, have a difficult time with, but basically from heaven's standpoint, it's not real. Heaven is real. And that's all there is. Nothing competes with God, right? So anything that you think is, is off or, or not right or, you know, fearful is not true. It it can't exist. It has to be a dream because that's not part of God. And God is all that is. So there is nothing outside of that. There is no fear outside of God. And we, uh, because we have free will, have the opportunity here in this dream to to play it out any way we want. And we're doing that. But our main goal here is to get back to God and to to reconnect with our true self, which is divine. It's the journey home. That's the important thing here that we're doing. But we all have a point in our lives where we make the turn, basically. And it for you, it was on that golf course. And for me, it was getting over cancer, basically. I mean, certain events happen in our lives. Not for everyone. Sometimes it's a more gradual occurrence. But there's usually an impetus. There's something that's going to make you make the turn and how happy it is that we did that. You know, I just fully believe that no one needs to have unease or disease rule their life. And if you shift your mind and you apply the tenets of A Course in Miracles, or if you're just a forgiving person, you don't have to do the course, it's just one way. But if you apply love to everything, that is what's going to come back to you. And that is what heals. Absolutely. I I know that in your book, you you talk a lot about that. And you also talk about gratitude. And I wanted to mention that in your book, you have some amazing journal entries. There's one that I just have to mention here. It's on page 186. It's really brief. Could you share that with us? Because I just love it. Okay, so I, I will read from page 186. I love the feeling of waking up to peace and joy and handing it out like a bag full of candy to everyone I meet. And the funny thing is, the bag is never empty. Gratitude can move mountains. And if I wanted to, I could move one today. 
I mean, it's pretty cool to think how you can come to that place from, <laughs> if you read some of my earlier journal entries, they're, they're pretty rough. Uh, you know, you get a little, uh, yeah. you get a little view into what it's like to be in that fearful mind. But the beauty of it is to see it come full circle and to just have that feeling of utter and just such overwhelming gratitude for everything in and around your life, everything, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, you just, and this is what the course can do. It's a really powerful book. It's a powerful, if you decide to go through that full year of the workbook, it's just a powerful journey, but it really could make a difference is all I can say. And I'm proof. Believe me, if you had, <laughs> if you had met me 20 years ago, if I had talked to you about what was inside my head 20 years ago, you'd, you'd be surprised. So. Yeah, I understand that. And I'm so happy that we're here having this talk because I just believe that many people can identify with you and hopefully somebody out there will be helped by it. So I also wanted to say that I know that now, as amazing as your book is, you're also doing study groups with individuals on A Course in Miracles. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because maybe somebody wants to contact you about that. Yeah. So anyone that wants to contact me, uh, you have to do it through my email, which is kseverin at hotmail.com. Yes, I uh, several classes. I, I also do some energy work, some energy healing work. Yeah, if somebody wants to just contact me too, just to discuss the book, to see how to get started in this, or if somebody's having some real difficulties, I'd be glad to kind of help and, and get you started in the right direction. Because honestly, uh, as Maria and I both know, this is something that really works. This is not a temporary fix, which that, that going back to all, you know, again, medications and counseling, though, though I'm not putting those things down. But for me, they were temporary fixes. They did not get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem are our thoughts and beliefs are, and our ongoing dialogue and that story we tell ourselves about all kinds of things. We constantly have that story going on, but getting to the root of the problem is really where it can be changed. So yes, I, I'd love to help anyone on their path. Yeah. Just give me, contact me at that email address. That'd be great. Oh, great. Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Kim. I, I really appreciate it. I want to thank you for joining me today. It, it's just been wonderful to hear how you actually made the turn and you've made it permanently. I mean, it is what you focus on each and every day. And I know you live a life of joy. So thank you so much. It's, it's just wonderful knowing you. And I look forward to many more wonderful times with you. Well, thank you so much, Maria. And again, it would be my uh, wish that someone would pick up the book and I could help them make the turn. That that would be absolutely wonderful to me. So thank you again. And I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Put Cancer Behind You with Maria Barnes. So you won't miss a single episode. We hope you'll follow our program on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite pod platforms. And be sure to visit us at mariabarnes.net on Facebook at Put Cancer Behind You, on Twitter at PCBY01, or on Instagram at Maria Barnes PCBY. Also, you can help us grow our audience by leaving a thoughtful review. Remember, if you or someone you know is in need of cancer coaching, Maria is here to help. We'll see you next time. Copyright 2022, Maria Barnes, LLC, All Rights Reserved.